Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackend and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This week's episode uh, is a decomposition of the Edge Compute Cluster by the Chick-fil-A team talking about how they use Kubernetes, uh, specifically K3S, in 2,500 of their restaurants to build an IoT and restaurant management system. Uh, using Intel Nooks, uh, which are commodity, uh, commercial, uh, residential grade hardware. Uh, fascinating story, uh, an update on a four-year-old Kubernetes story um, that had a lot of buzz four years ago. And really they show how they have been successful building this system. Um, a lot of tantalizing details uh, that we discuss and pull apart as part of this discussion. Uh, and if you're interested in Kubernetes, Edge, DevOps, and distributed systems, this episode has a lot to enjoy. We talked about this before, like in, in terms of failure points, when we discussed like the, the, the Facebook data center outage. That is the exact same scenario, right? Like. Uh, the engineers got complacent and said, "Like, yeah, the, the, I can just assume that this particular service is going to be have 100% uptime or close or equivalent to 100% uptime." And um, you forgot the DR plan for it. This is actually a nice uh, jumping in point to the topic of the day, which is back to Chick Fil A, um, and to talk about what Chick Fil A did. Because I mean, this is exactly the. If I recall, when we were talking about it before, the idea of how much of the control plane was local or and how much of it relied on um, external networks was was a, was a topic of interest for us. If you'll accept, if you'll accept the redirection back to the topic of the day, <laughs> redirection accept. Because <laughs> um, right, they they. Um, Klaus, I think you were the one pointing out their their Kubernetes control plane is all is is local, but there's a ton of external surface. It looks like from that article. Do it. Should I pull it back up? Let's see. I have it in the actual document. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty much what the what I recall from it is, uh, and, and again, I don't have the link on me. I'll put it up. Uh, but, but what I do remember from it is that they they did like uh they did mention that the, the their control plane or a particular a significant portion of their operators or, or or controllers or whatever you want to call it was central. So in a in effect, like the I think the Chick Fil A situation is really not treating the those. Kubernetes clusters as uh, decoupled uh, setups, but more like edge computing, where they do they delegate a particular amount of work to those local um, clusters, mm -hmm. but the um, the brain is still central. When you say the brain, is that are you thinking the um what what does that mean actually? I should um it, so consider it like for example, like um when you look at a lot of um consumer grade of IoT devices, um there is no local um not no local uh control plane mm, okay. like, right. you, you have to go through the the SaaS portal in order to manage your local the uh, IoT devices and I kind of feel like chick-fil-a is implementing something like that but just internal so that so the their 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 clusters are are their edge devices, their IoT devices that, that perform certain functions. They can continue performing to some degree 
with a partial or, or temporary disconnection. But ultimately, they still need to call back to um, to their central SaaS service, if that's what they want to call it, um, in order to uh, uh, perform as expected. Oh, that's an interesting. So the the, the and I'm looking at the the diagram here. I can put up the diagram. Uh, if you can see the screen, that'll. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at it and, and yeah, it's the that bridge, um, the bridge connection there, right? So there's an interesting. Um, well, the DevOps. So there's smart equipment support in a cloud Kubernetes cluster, but the smart equipment, and this to me is a big deal. The smart equipment they have. This implies it has an edge interface that in store that you can talk to those that equipment um, in store. So it's not consumer electronics where a lot of times you can't interface except through a cloud system. Now we're now now I'm, I'm almost full circle. So that they they're actually buying equipment that has local interface. Even more importantly, has local. IP interface that they can treat as some type of API and talk to. Yeah, uh, and and you can see also that that they have their smart equipment connected to their to the edge Kubernetes cluster, and and I, they actually the, the the term edge there is is it's uh, topical. It, it, it's it's valid. So they're. Mm -hmm. they're they're using the their the edge Kubernetes cluster as a, a local mesh, a, a local interface that that talks to the smart equipments and then the the actual control is delegated through the bridge so as opposed to doing a like a full hub and spoke network where all of the smart equipment talks directly to their cloud Kubernetes cluster um they uh they minimize the traffic between the um, between uh, the, their cloud and, and their edge by by uh, having the edge control the, the smart equipment and then the, the cloud control the edge. Right, and they can also normalize the APIs, so all the equipment can be right put put through some type of um, normalization system. Yeah, and and this is actually a. a a pretty similar topology to to how I typically architect my my uh, my monitoring. Okay. Like when when I when I monitor multiple locations, I have a an, an agent that uh, on, on on each location that collects the local data and and then sends it to my central uh, collection where where I can aggregate it. What, what's interesting, and, and maybe it's in here and they're just not showing it, is any feedback loop inside of the edge, right? So there, there isn't, they're not showing a um, Kubernetes, you know, a multi-tier Kubernetes app. Maybe it's down in the in the story, but right, smart equipment has a you know, a Kubernetes-based has a container-based bridge back to uh, a centralized Kubernetes cluster that, that somebody else can use for that support interface. It's not showing, um, and maybe this is implied, a lot of interactions inside the store between that equipment and other, other things. Yeah. So this uh, is, this uh, is the uh, team layout. Yeah, so the... I mean, when you look at the um, at the boxes inside the edge cluster, like the, the ones that are connected by the bridge, that's like the that's just OAuth and, and MQTT. I mean, it's the text is a little bit small and hard to read, but that's what it says inside of it, essentially. Okay. So, um, so yeah, like as you said, I, I think it's just a normalization interface. For for their for their devices, uh, there, there's not a lot of logic delegated to it. 
um, that, Probably because they're, they want that they're calling out, right? Yeah. Um, and in a sense, I would treat their edge cluster almost as a proxy. A, a very smart and, and very configurable proxy, but in effect, a proxy. And it's it's interesting from that perspective, yeah, because it really they're really not showing what I had assumed. Like the reason I, and this this we've asked, so it's a K3S cluster, but it's effectively a Kubernetes cluster. What's the if they're not you know, she doesn't look like they're running an application here. Maybe they are, but you know, what's you know, is is there is does this need Kubernetes? Does anything need Kubernetes? <laughs> um, it probably doesn't need it in most cases, uh, but. Um, I would think that the reason why they choose Kubernetes is the same reason that I end up choosing Kubernetes for most medium and, and, and small kinds of workloads is the the automatic reconciliation. Mm. Like, and, and and again, this is something that we've talked in yeah. in years past, and and this and this lunch and learn is that um, one of the the issues with IoT and, and edge devices is that um, when you push out a um, a bad configuration, it it's hard to revert it mm-hmm. if you don't have a rolling upgrade and plan and so on. So Kubernetes gives you that. Kubernetes ensures that when you when you push out a new configuration, um, it needs to conform to your health checks before it it goes live. Um, depending on whether you use any additional tooling like Argo rollouts, you even get a rollback plan uh, that's fully automated. Like you, you can do binary, you can do uh, like partial traffic redirection and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, it means that you can be you can do much more frequent updates to your to your edge control to your edge controllers um, without the risk of breaking something you're you're lining up to something that um i've i've debated with people who are very edge focused which is um you know write a system for the edge it's going to be its own thing and what you're describing to me lines up with the Edge is going to edge is is ninety percent is going to look ninety percent similar to cloud here, right? The benefit the benefit with this is that even though it might be a little more than they need in the store, the fact that it it's consistent, you know, their their edge systems are are you know ninety percent the same as their cloud systems is a benefit, even I, if there's overhead. I I think there, there there's two ways that that it will, it will be approached. One is this one, which like is making the edge more cloud-like. Which, yes, it has the the bonus of flexibility, um, but it also takes a significant overhead. But like here, like mm-hmm. they, they need three full devices to 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 manage this flexibility. That's where I was going to um, ask. Yeah, that's right. On the other hand, you can also take the, the approach that mobile devices use, or or even network devices like like Cisco switches, Juniper, etc., where you can uh, you can apply a configuration, uh, and if something breaks, well, you haven't you haven't committed it yet, so you just restart the device and you're back to the previous no configuration. Right. Um, it, it is more limited because, again, you you don't have full flexibility of, of like doing rolling updates and, and so on. But it gives it does give you a rescue plan. You're, um, you're making me think through one of the things that they talk about here, but don't show, is they actually have a control machine um, that manages the like. There's a fourth machine here for control for. Or running the infrastructure. Hmm. But I it's I 
I think what your your point is 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 really important, right? It's like I'm I'm adding a three machine system instead of just a single embedded device as my gateway to get this benefit. Yeah. And then I and then I have to be able to roll them out and I have to be able to patch them and I right. You're actually incurring a fair bit of IT infrastructure for the benefit of having that cloud that that cloud like experience. Yeah. Yeah, like it's. I mean, it's it's equivalent to to say paying extra for evergreen servers, like with dual PSUs and uh, and RAID servers and whatever redundancy. Um, um, like you, the the overhead costs you. Like it, I figured mm-hmm. at some point they they decided that it was worth it though. Um, <laughs> like, well, again, like for example, if your controller is down. Then that particular business location is down. So if they have sufficient um, need for 100% uptime during business hours, then this absolutely makes sense. Like this is their DR plan, essentially. Uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, there's a, I mean, there, there's a lot of you could buy two embedded systems with an active passive setup, and it would be a lot easier to just run some containers on on a the one node, right? I, I we don't know. Like part of the assumption that I have here is that there's they're not they're one they're they're not overloading the cluster, um, and actually that they have a way to to um quickly quickly reset if one if they lose one of those machines then they're gonna i'm assuming they have a way to to um get it back to a consensus right three three is actually the minimum yeah i i mean it there are conditions that need to be, be met for this to be viable one is you need to have the in-house talent to support this definitely um but the flip side is that once you have the in-house talent to support this you are no longer beholden to a third-party contractor. Like, take for mm-hmm. example the, the case of a point-of-sale systems, where uh, if you use a commercial off-the-shelf one, well, they they have very specific requirements as to how they can be used. Part of it is because of uh, uh, PCI uh, DSS, but, but other ones is just because the vendor. Says well, we we will only support it if it's configured in this specific way. Right. Like you need you need to have a, a particular network setup. You need to have a particular connection. And when it's down, you need to call the vendor and and get them to troubleshoot it through you. Mm-hmm. Um, so this eliminate this this yeah. not only eliminates that, but it potentially makes it so that any, they can hire people who are like, oh yes, I have done. Kubernetes container build Docker whatever and you know you're you've you've now um, removed a barrier yeah. for having well, to understand how the systems are built. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily limit eliminate these issues. I mean, there's always points of failure, but it it gives some resilience to it. Like instead of having instead of one system being down, uh, reflect meaning a full outage this can mean that well the one the one knock is is down uh you're running now in a degraded state but you're still running it buys you time until after hours it buys your engineer time to pick up their tools and drive to your location right so so again if the if the cost of an outage outweighs the cost of maintaining the system, then it makes financial sense for them. Makes sense. But one of the things that you had said when we talked earlier about this is that the cost, right? The nooks, you know, they're they're not expensive units. Um, they're not cheap, but they're not, you know, they're not particularly spendy. Um, you were actually hypothesizing that this might actually be a cheaper configuration for them. Than um, you know a, a a more traditional 
edged hardware story, which I, you know, I see those and those things are, you know, little like uh telecom route rack mount units. They're still running a couple, you know, the vendors pack those full of like remote diagnostic equipment and uh, anti-tamper stuff. They have some network redundancies built into them. Yeah. Um, they're pretty nice. To, I mean, frankly, they're, they're designed for this use case. They're pretty nice. Um, yeah. Uh, keep in mind though, that the, the knock story is several years old now. So, um, mm-hmm. well, but I, I know is, that I mean, this now is, this we is, have a lot this is a recent update, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, wait, this is a recent update, but but it, it basically means that I mean it it means that they they are continuing using the knocks because they're comfortable with them. Mm. But if you go back in time to to the point where they made the decision to use knocks in the first place, well, we have to consider what what the cost of those devices were, were then, because um, like knock type systems back then were cheaper. They were also more underpowered, yes, yeah. but they were right. they were also cheaper than than now. Like at, right now, like Intel is trying to to move the knocks into a more premium type of demographic. Um, there, there was also a different level of availability of of equivalent devices as well. I mean, two years ago, or maybe three now, um, which is, again, a significant time after the, these knocks came out uh, and, and were used by uh, particularly, um, they may have chosen to use uh, Raspberry Pis. Nowadays, no one would, yeah. would consider doing that because they're not available. <laughs> well, that, that's one of the things that, and Nooks, Nooks are single vendor too, but they're using Intel or AMD, they're using more standard processors. But yeah, the yeah. supply chain issue on Nooks is surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with, with the Nook, at least worst case, you, 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 can, you can buy a white box machine and, and drop it in. Um, like as long as you have a, a hard disk controller and, and have the like the same CPU architecture and memory, like you you're good to go. Um, with with most kind of like I, I see that that the dimension Ubuntu there, so yeah. like in most cases they could probably even just take the hard drive out of the knock and put it in a different machine and it will probably run. <laughs> well, that what what I'm highlighting here is. Um... Right, they've they've got a a, a cluster manager at, on the side of it that they're basically doing immutable boots on. From that perspective, right? So they're they're rolling and wiping uh, to create the the system and rejoin the cluster. Well, which which right? I mean, that's you know, we did this that Edge Lab out of Pies, and that was one of the things that we were like we were doing from that perspective it's it's this is this is very good practice right they're basically saying all any one of these nooks is a disposable unit and not only do we think it's disposable we are regularly rolling it yeah um like i i would i i wouldn't be surprised if they were using cloud in it for example like just a um basic um <laughs> if they're using ubuntu they ha- they almost have to nowadays yeah. ubuntu changed their boot process to to cloud init even on a regular pixie um but yeah. yeah um i it's it's actually nice to see i mean this is i, I really appreciate them sharing this um and some of what they're doing is you know they were early you're right but has emerged as very good ops practice for this, um, right? Like if I was going to recommend somebody build an edge site uh, around what we do, that you know, having a edge commander would be one of those things. Um, we would we would do it as a consensus cluster. Since you have three machines, we do it as a consensus cluster so that the control plane would be sp- spread out too. Because that yeah. that's the other one of the things about this design is 
the edge commander could become a, a, a breaking point, but a lot of times you don't worry about that. If the cluster is redundant, then you're like, yeah, that's a, it's not urgent if your control plane, as long as the systems are up, the control plane doesn't can go off. Well, and that's the thing also, like, I, I mean, the, the, the only thing that, that needs to be local on that edge commander is the boot image. And, and, and that could even be just on, on, on a read only SSD or uh, SD card inside the, the NUC. Or, or, or oh, really USB stick. Like it's just a base image, right? And, and it, and it starts up and <laughs> you could do it as a partition it, on each machine. Yeah. And you could, you can have a SaaS service that says like, okay, like the, the machine booted up. It's requesting its configuration. Here it is. Um, so your, your edge commander doesn't necessarily need to be on, on site. I mean, it can, and, and it would give you, the ability to boot your machines without with limit or with limited network connectivity. But I would imagine that the bootstrapping would still require um connecting to their repositories and, and so on to um to re- to read their latest configuration essentially like to do their cloud in it. Yeah. There's something there's something in here. Oh, well, they're using it looks like they're using a shared OS across the nodes to create persistence. So they're, they're persisting data in the cluster, not not on the individual nodes. It's not, I mean, this is, a, this is a very sophisticated little cluster. It, I mean, it, yeah, as you said, it, it takes a lot of the um, a lot of the practices that have been considered um, commonplace in, in, in terms of uh, cloud system operations and apply them to, to edge controllers. So, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going back every time I read this, things pop out at me that were. That I hadn't hadn't thought about or hadn't hadn't caught. Um, yeah, but by doing this, a lot of the magic of synchronizing the in-store stuff shifted back into whoops, con, uh, the cluster, right back to the Docker repository and the the. Um, I guess cube cuddle or some, it'd be interesting to know what their, how, how sophisticated their Kubernetes setup was. Like is, is there a, op, you know, are there operators maintaining some of those pieces or is it more straightforward op, applications? Well, I, I can see that they have uh, the dimension GitOps. So at least, at least mm-hmm. either Flux or Argo CD would be my guess. Uh, unless they use an in-house uh, is, is vessel they have, in, they have parentheses vessel I don't know what that means um, I don't know um, oh yeah so it looks yeah so that they have their, their own their own agent okay. um, oh and this is Atlas yeah. over here for um, GitLab yeah. so the I, I I wouldn't be surprised if their their cluster was entirely stateless as well. Mm, okay, which essentially means that just like again, like you, it starts up uh, the uh, the cluster bootstraps itself so that the nodes talk to each other. Um, which again, like it, uh, as I said, like they 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 want to be able to to dropship those knocks so. Yeah. Um, as long as they have the the uh, the ID of the instance, they can just um, like you can, put a, you can do a MAC address or you can a, tell, or, tell or, it like, okay, you're part of this cluster. Here are your credentials. Like, and then again, the the certs would be pulled from Vault or something equivalent. I, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um. So so yeah it. With, with that in mind, um, as long as the instances have, or the NUCs have network connectivity and they're able to 
to run cloud in it or something equivalent. Um, it should be able to create to start a cluster from scratch, um, like even like rest restore from a full outage, like like let's say the the network closet caught fire, something like that. Um, just send three three more knocks and 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 then it will it will be running. Um, well, you, you're going to have to recover the the edge commander. So right again, not not necessarily. Like if if the, if the base image is on on a, on a read only volume on like attached to the NUC, then the and as long as the network oh, connectivity is in, in place, um, then then the NUC just boots up. It, it runs its cloud in it, uh, and and the edge commander is then a a cloud cloud based service that that. Uh, essentially, it's just a a uh, the equivalent of a a a CMDB, right? Oh, and some of this, what right you're describing, comes out of the from a GitOps perspective. Yeah, like once the cluster itself is bootstrapped, the the, the rest is again just just trying to get off practice of saying like, okay, you. Are running these workloads, and then the GitOps uh, operator takes care of reconciling the workloads and making sure they they start running. Okay, right. And in this case, Edge Commander for them is actually part of the cluster bootstrapping. Interesting. Right. I was reading Edge Commander in my context, which describes it as a pixie. Would I think of as a pixie server? In this case, it's actually a cluster bootstrapper. Mm -hmm. Which I suspect it has to do both. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it it depends on 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 how they, they manage their their images. Uh, with a Pixie server, they, they have the ability to push out new base images. Um, with uh, with with read only images, uh, then they would have to replace the base devices. Um, right. But again, if they have the ability to, to bootstrap, it's, it's really just a matter of, okay, after business hour, here's the three new machines. Like, take the, the old ones offline. They, they, they probably don't even need, like if they're completely stateless, the, the clusters, they probably don't even need to, to do a clean shutdown. Just like turn them all off, plug in the new ones. They, they will start, they start up, they bootstrap, they uh, they reform their cluster on on their good to go. It's 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 interesting to me how much information there's in this article, and how where the and how how we get into the the the, the gaps at the detail level. Well. Uh, Again, th th this is a lot of yeah. speculation too. Like we, we yeah. don't know the behavior of the S commander. We, we so I, I I could be misreading this, but no, I, uh, I I every time I look at it, I, different details come to light. And so I mean, it's just a couple of sentences. So we have to go back to our, um, you know, our intuition of what what it would take. Um, there's definitely a. I, I read it as Edge Commander was external to the cluster, and I'm rereading this as looking at Edge Commander as internal to the cluster, or letting the first artifact in the cluster, um, you know, boot, create create the cluster, and then you could re-image it back with Kubernetes. Right? The you you put Edge Commander in the cluster, then transfer it out, and then kill the node that started it. Um, K3S isn't that dynamic a control plane. They don't talk. I don't. I didn't see them talk about. By default, uh, K3S is um, runs out of my out of SQL, and so it's not HA. Um, but I suspect you could put it on a shared shared storage and let the database float. Or, or you can just uh, configure it to to use ECD. But, but again, like it. Given that these are stateless workloads, or or again, given that I'm speculating that that the that these are stateless workloads, 
um the loss of of the of state just really just means that you rebootstrap and then you start again yeah yeah assuming they're stateless or it um yes the nice thing about having a you know an expectation that you only have three clusters or three three machines or maybe even five but it looks like three then you can you can say you know what i'm not my my demands on this cluster are not going to exceed you know a shared storage um you know nfs mount across the disks or some type of shared storage cluster Ceph, little Ceph volume which i think they have they have in did they nope they didn't say Ceph. Uh, but yeah, so the lack of it, they're not saying there's a shared storage, so that would drive towards stateless. Yeah, the, the article is unsurprisingly light on uncertain details. Mm -hmm. Uh, but um it is a it does it does pose a, a a fun thought experiment in terms of like how one would uh implement this and and um as we discussed what what the benefits and and side effects would be of their approach. Yeah, and I like that they're they're talking about these things. Why is why do you think OAuth? Um yes, man. I I would say that this is again um But based on their um on, on the fact that their reporting is all central and the and their control is all central. Um the the OAuth allows them to um to essentially identify uh use the use the, the node identity uh or or could uh, allow them to to use to know that entity um for oh, okay. um, for deciding okay like what is this node allowed to to access or to like what what data set belongs to it um oh interesting okay i maybe i'm not thinking of oh off the right way the the, the they mentioned that 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 the OAuth is is in conjunction with their API suite, so right. uh, which is why I'm thinking that this is largely related to how it interacts with their with their cloud cluster, not 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 specifically oh, a see, local yeah. um, specific uh, local only uh, requirement. Yeah, this is about the APIs more generally, which they don't they're not talking about much. God, the, the amount of the, the amount of testing that would have to go through to make all that stuff go is impressive. Well, it it does help if you have a mostly homogenous uh, setup at at each of your locations. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like as a franchise, it would be much more difficult to to do that. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you're you're dictating things back. Twenty-five thousand. Huh. I missed this synthetic client. 
worse maybe i'm missing what they mean by this um well if you um consider it in the context of prometheus monitoring it would be something like a black box exporter that um that that performs as if it were a device on the network interacting with the cluster Oh, okay. and goes through a specific workflow that is expected to pass. And if that workflow fails, then well, oh, that's an issue okay. and, it, and it gets reported. Gotcha. Huh. So uh, essentially continuous regression testing for the live right. API. So it, it's almost a heartbeat. It's a it's a ping from that perspective. Um, not necessarily. So you 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 do collect that at, at regular intervals, and, and you want to do that. Um, the the heartbeat part on on the other side is is something that you do want also in, in addition, particularly if you if you push metrics instead of pulling them. And then on the central side, you, you basically just alert when a heartbeat doesn't show up. So that would at least indicate indicate that either the cluster is down or the network is down. Right, the most basic. So it's the most basic basic health thing that doesn't require on an external network. So you're not pinging this, each store across the network. You're you're basically doing that sweep. Seems like, yeah, that's okay. It's interesting the details they chose to include from that perspective. Um, wow. It's. I'm. I'm surprised that they decided to use to to create a lot of in-house tools for this. Mm. Um, it's. I mean, it. It's. It's not uncommon to see it, but I. I have doubts about the longevity of these tools when, mm -hmm. when they're when they're in-house, particularly if, if the. Developer that that uh, that created them, please. Yeah, I, well, part of this to me is the early the early adopter push of you know building this scale edge Kubernetes infrastructure, right? Because I, I look back, I, I scanned through it, some of the um, comment about their GitOps model. <laughs> Where they stuff the the changes to the stores in, in each one in a different repo, so all of a sudden, wait a second, now we've got changes across right there. That's a hard way to do GitOps with 2,500 2, different repos. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, and like even even across different branches, that that's a problem. Like the yeah. the, the most common yes. recommendation when doing GitOps is that you do a separate directory per um, what I like to call release channel. Mm. Um, yeah, rather than separate repos. Yeah. And in the in the past, I I was I was in the in the separate branch camp where mm. I, I would say like okay like if you you have the same application but it it's a it's a slightly different release. Then you, you create a different branch. Um, the problem with that is that while it's while it while it makes it easier to synchronize changes because you you essentially do a rebase from one, one branch to another, uh, it makes it more difficult to visualize changes. And, and, right. And particularly if if you have. Um, a non-fixed cardinality uh, for for your release options, 
Okay, mm. if itself just like uh, stable and and and, and rapid, you have uh, stable, rapid uh, test A, uh, and so on. Um, you start losing sight of uh, which release channels are active or not. So keeping it all in in, in one branch but in separate directories ends up being more practical for for maintenance. It, yeah, there's so much, um, so much stuff to track through on that. There's no, no matter what you do, it's you're compromising from one one place to another. Um, yeah, it's it's a mess. Hmm. And you you're creating a pull loop. Well, I guess that's the whole point for what they're doing. That's where they, they that means that they yeah, stores are gonna pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Um it it's it, it's it's not gonna reduce the, the load on, on, on your on your good repository, whether you do branches or or, or separate repositories or, or, or separate um separate directories at least not with off-the-shelf GitOps tools and, and that is because they all like each each application that you manage with the GitOps should be cloning its own repository <laughs> um right. now having said that if you if your GitOps tool is smart and, and can do some optimization it may say well Okay, uh, your application A and application B are using the same repository and the same branch. Um, so I might as well clone it once and then do a local copy. In which case, yes, you do reduce some of the, the network load and some of the, the load on, on, your, on your Git repository. There's an interesting, and you're doing a lot more GitOps than than I do. Are you know from a design perspective, we there's always a risk from an ops ops perspective that a, somebody's Git check in could cause havoc. And so it, I don't know if if you need more controls, more controls are desired. I guess you can just lock down the repos. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, that, I mean, that is actually one of the, the other issues with, with, uh, with multi-repo and, and, and multi, multi-branch approaches oh is yeah. that you, your branch protection uh, rules need to be replicated versus using a single branch and, and then you, you, you sub your code owners and, and, you, and your branch you protection rules once and, and you're done. Do you worry about rehearsal or or draft from that perspective, where you can actually um, preview what changes get made? Because right, it's so easy to mess up a merge across a branch and and have a partial like like not pull everything. That's <laughs> maybe I'm not as good good enough at Git, but not pull everything that you thought you were pulling over from from a, one branch to another. Um, not really. Um, so the, it, it largely comes to, that, that, that largely comes down to a change management problem, not so much a te technological problem. Uh, if you have distinct release channels, again, going back to the terminology that I use, mm -hmm. um, you have your, you have your stable release channel, you have your rapid release channel, you, have, you may have additional ones. So when you when you when you push updates, uh those get reflected in your rapid channel first. Uh and and you have sufficient uh infrastructure or at least test environments on that channel to uh -huh. to pick up those changes and 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 then you do good regression testing and integration testing against that. 
Um, that's, that's one thing they didn't talk about that I think is would be important is the idea of having you know a test test stores and blue green rollouts and some type of way to 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 you know migrate um, a change through this system. Uh, that that would likely that that, that would require a, a separate. A whole other uh, post article yeah. by itself, yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully they keep they keep writing about it. Um, you know, I I find that this this sharing is amazing. I kudos to the team. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's really exciting to see somebody doing this type of IT work within edge clusters. Um, uh, you know, I love and I love being able to review it and discuss it and <laughs> speculate. And if I can find if I can find them, we'll pull them in. I'd love to actually hear Brian Chambers' uh, experience with this. So, Brian, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully somebody drew it to your attention. Uh, we'd love to actually have you answer these questions and tell us what you what you did and what you want to do. Because I'm maybe curious. tell tell me how how far off I am the the mark with my speculation. A hundred percent. Either either on target or off target is fine with us, right? Cool. Right. Ross, this was this was cool. Thank you for uh deep diving with me into this and speculating a little. A little well, it's been a pleasure. Cool. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Until next time. Cheers. Wow, what a fun discussion. And truly, if anybody from the Chick-fil-A team wants to come and explain and discuss what they've done, we would love to hear uh, about what we got right, what we got wrong, what you're doing, what the next steps are. It's truly a spectacular um, example of IT at the edge um, and so many great um, ways in which this story has exemplified a lot of the advice and thinking that we've been doing for the last several years. So kudos to that team. Uh, they, they really accomplished quite a bit um, in some really spectacular ways. So if this is interesting and you like stories like this, please join us at the 2030.cloud. You can come in, be part of the roundtable discussion, bring your topics, ideas, and questions. That's what we are here to discuss. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.